back to Yes X or No Audio. Hello, everybody. It is October the 18th at about 6.30am in the morning here on the Eastern Seaboard of Australia in the year 2023, and this is episode two of season one of Day in Review. And we're going to try and work together another uh, three ideas. So the first of them comes from Gilbert Doctorow. Well, it's not so much an idea as a note of occurrence. And then we're going to move from there via Danny Eleganza into uh, Sloboda and his comment on uh, the Jimmy Dore show. And from there, we're going to do a slide into Brian Balletic, a.k.a. the new Atlas, to attempt to answer the question which I was considering yesterday. And that is, given that Israel has called up 360,000 reservists and apparently their military all ready to go in and smash the crap out of Gaza, why haven't they done so? Why are they paused? So, let's begin with Gilbert Doctorow. Uh, the article linked in the update for today relates what's going on in terms of Russian media, which is a service he provides to us all. However, at the end of it, here's a note, that a Qatari emir visited Schultz in Germany and quietly informed him that if they keep supporting Israel in this genocidal attack on Gaza, then uh, then Germany's going to have no more gasser from Qatar. And Qatar supplies 15% of the world's liquid natural gas market. And because the EU decided to sanction the crap out of Russia, they ain't got no more Russian gas, and therefore they need the liquid natural gas, despite all of the supply from the US. And so that puts the EU in a bit of a bind. So... From there, we enter the world's energy markets. And here is a little side switch into Daniela Ganser. Daniela Ganser is a Swiss uh, historian, and the subject of his PhD is known as Operation Gladio, or NATO's Stay Behind Army. And they play an important role in the first few decades following the end of the Second World War to prevent a bunch of communist governments from emerging in war-torn Europe. Uh, they played particular roles in suppressing the Italian people from electing a communist government, which is what they wanted to do after the Second World War, and the CIA didn't want this, and so therefore this was one of the mechanisms used to prevent that from occurring. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of interesting stuff there too. I invite you to look up Galen, who was the member of the Nazi organization who was responsible for military intelligence for Eastern Europe. He gave himself up to the Americans uh, at the point when it became obvious that the uh, Nazis were going to lose. But what he did was take all of his data with him, bury it in the barrel, stick it in the field, and then surrender. And uh, quietly informed the US officer that it would be in his interest to inform his superior, superior, superior's commanding officer who Galen was. And uh, there would be uh, the advantage in that, of course, this happened. The data was revealed to the Americans, and they then installed Galen as the head of military intelligence for the reconstituted West Germany. So a Nazi <laughs> heads German military intelligence after the Second World War. Go figure. Anyway, that's a bit of a sideline. Let's move back to Ganza. So his main topic of study after his PhD thesis on Operation Gladio was looking at world energy trade. So he started an institute called the Swiss Institute for Peace and Energy Research, SIPA. And they published, published a whole lot of interesting stuff. And 
That's what's going on, right? So the Qatari Emir's gone to Germany and said, Oi, cut it out with this political support for Israel's you know, nasty attack on Gaza. So now we flip into Sloboda. So he's been interviewed uh, on the Jimmy Dore show. And his comment is that Saudi Arabia see what the US and the EU tried to do to Russia uh, at the beginning of the special military operation with all of their sanctions. And that is that they tried to take down one of the world's major resource suppliers. And of course that didn't work, but Saudi Arabia saw what was being done and went, shit, that doesn't look so good. And so what they did, well, what MBS did, is change his strategy. Previously he'd been running a bunch of fairly unimportant wars, like the one in Yemen and so forth, uh, and that was, you know, to make the military-industrial complex happy and la, 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 la. But it turns out that this is a pretty short-sighted strategy, and so he developed his uh, foreign policy game, you could say, and decided that uh, he should hedge his bets a bit and do something a bit more like India. And so he agreed with China to supply them with uh, oil uh, sold to them in their national currency, or the international version of which, which is called the renminbi. Uh, and this essentially spelt the death knell for the petrodollar, which is another story again. But so this is what, this is the reaction um, of a lot of sort of just second tier players in the global economy watching what was attempted to be done to Russia. So you've got obviously, you know, India and, and then here we're getting into the Mackinderian analysis, which is part of my geoeconomic theory, which is to look back at the 1906 publication by Mackinder, where he basically says, look, if you look at the, the global map, you know, in Mercator projection, and you sort of zoom out a bit and blow your eyes, there's two islands. <laughs> there's Eurasia and Africa, which are all connected. That's one big island. There's another one. It's North and South America, apart from Antarctica, which is, you know, uninhabitable. Maybe plenty of resources down there, but difficult to get to, etc. So it's really only two islands, and there's a big one and a, and a not-so-big one. And if you control the big one, then you really can control the world. So this is the McKinderian analysis. And it's sort of put into some degree of trouble by the fact that during the colonial expansions, essentially what emerged were a bunch of European powers using maritime transport as their key, you know, power, their maritime powers. And what McKinder was saying in the beginning of the 20th century is, well, with the advent of the rail transport, that provides a sort of counter to this dominance of sea transport. So this is sort of land-based empires versus sea-based empires. Anyway, that's the sort of background. And what we're seeing with the emergence of China with its economic dominance and its BRI project is the reconstruction of a land-based power. And they're not doing it as a solo nation in control. No, they're doing that in unison with Russia. And we'll get back to that. So this is underpinned by the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which is the security and financial and political arm of the Eurasian side of the BRI project, and the BRICS. And now BRICS Plus groups are essentially an international political arm of the same thing. All right, so this is one of the points that Sloboda makes, that Saudi sort of wake up to what's going on. So now from there, <clears throat> we move on to a point that Brian Boletic has been making, and that is that when you look at what was going on in the uh, conflict in Ukraine, so you've got the Russian special military operation, and you've got the US and NATO funneling weapons and so forth, and money, into Ukraine, and essentially the end result of that is, as uh, Mishheimer said, what do you end up with? You end up with a destroyed Ukraine. Very clever. But what also happens is essentially a draining of all of the military reserves of NATO and the US. So you recall that uh, the US is running around buying up, you know, hundreds of thousands, of 155mm artillery shells from South Korea and then from Israel, which is a bit, of a bit humorous now, um, in order to supply Ukraine. 
to you know, continue the whole thing because, as Lloyd Austin said, you know, we're, we're trying to weaken Russia. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. J- Jesus Christ, learn from history. I mean, Hitler tried this, <laughs> and before him, um, Napoleon. It doesn't work. It's a major resource economy. You can't, you can't do this shit. One should ask why the U.S. is running around buying up all these artillery cells. The answer is they can't make them in time. And that is the core problem. Why can't they make them? Well, there's a resource supply issue, the supply side problem. The other one is they don't have the manufacturing infrastructure anymore. This is a major problem for them. And this is why, it's part of the explanation why China and Russia are such a problem and their enemies number one and two on the US strategic list. It's because they have the manufacturing capacity and they have the resource supply too. Anyway, we'll get getting back to resources again in a minute. So, this is really what's going down. The problem is, how can I put this? Okay, human rights are a tool that's used to manipulate populations. It's a touchstone issue for for the people. The people who are really in power don't really give much of a shit about human rights. They care about resource control. That's where real power lies. You can make whole nations do your bidding if you control the resources. This is always what Imperia are about. So, this is the real gig. The problem right now is that because the Middle East are unifying in defense of the Palestinian people, and that includes amazing shit like the president of Iran talking to MBS from Saudi Arabia and agreeing that this shit just can't happen, which itself kills the Saudi-Israeli deal that the US was trying to sponsor, right? This off the table completely now. So that just shows how much of a dumb shit idea that was. Because they're unified, what that means is if this conflict runs broader, gets out of control in the Middle East, what happens is OPEC plus nations, so the plus includes Russia, they will just shut down energy supply for the global economy and the global economy will crash. Right? And this makes very powerful people very, very, very nervous. Uh, point that Pepe Escobar makes in one of his articles that I've referenced is, of course, if you want to run a big war and it involves Iran, and then what happens is the Strait of Hormuz gets shut down, and that just shuts down the, the global economy. Instantly. But not many countries can survive for many months without resupply of oil. So this is the big problem. So if you want to also understand about the human rights versus resource supply thing, there, there is no human rights. Go and look at um, George Carlin. I, I highlighted him in a few articles back. Brilliant comedian, and he absolutely lays it out. So really the story is about resource control in the greater sense. But what, what the pause, I'm positing that the pause that Israel is being forced to hold is that very powerful people are very worried about this conflict getting out of control. Because if that happens, the global economy crashes. And as I can't remember who it was that pointed out that the, essentially there's um, many trillions of dollars stuck in um, uh, future trade in the financial systems, and that'll crash. So the whole thing goes kaput without energy supply to keep everything ticking along. So if you expand out from just looking at energy supply, which is critical because that's a short-term fuse, right? If you shut down the insula, the whole global economy crashes. But you have to look at the more strategic, longer-term supply issues too. And one of the ones that's coming, of course, because of uh, our changing climate, right? It's changing. Whatever you want, you, you make your own judgments. In that article a while back, I've had a chat to people who know about this shit. One of the problems there is going to be fresh water. All right, so ex- 
you're excluding the ice caps, right, as in Antarctica, the top of the Himalayas and the Andes and whatever, where is all the fresh water? So, first question, where is the largest freshwater lake on the planet? Where? It's in Russia. Interesting, that. Here's another one. Now, if freshwater is one issue, how about just growing food? So, to do that, you really want fertilizer. Now, obviously, you want nitrogen for that, and this you can get out of oil and so forth, but... There's another part to that, which is critically important, and that's potassium. Why is potassium important? Well, inside every single cell is the mitochondria, and the way that that works to supply energy to the cell is this exchange going on of the change of ADP and ATP. So that's the the di and the tri version of adenosine triphosphate, right? Don't forget the P, that's the phosphate. Where's the largest concentration of available phosphate? Morocco. How much of it is there? Bugger all. So control over the the potassium supply from Morocco is a very important thing too. Not many people think about it. But skipping back to Ganza, the Swiss are rather clever. The world's largest resource trading market is in Switzerland. So their cleverness is to say, well, all the Imperia want the resources. That's what they're fighting over. What we'll do is we'll just make sure we host the market where these things are traded. Clever, right? So this is the structural analysis. Why is the IDF you know, sitting there with, a, you know, it's God knows how many troops twiddling their thumbs when they could go in and smack the crap out of all these people in Gaza. Well, I suggest that that is because, amongst, there's other reasons too, of course. But the major one is that if they do this, the thing's going to run out of control, and they know that because Iran's told them that they'll unleash Hezbollah, right? And Hezbollah have somewhere between 100 and 150,000 rockets that they can just smack the crap out of Israel. Right? So this is what goes down. And as soon as that happens, the US's two carrier groups get involved and oh my God, there's a major war going on in the Middle East and the oil disappears and the global economy crashes. This makes very powerful people very, 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 very nervous. So that is one of the causes for the pause. See you tomorrow. Until next time.